0: Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris and I'm Carrie. So it has been a month since our last episode. It's yep. kind of weird, uh, but summer weird. happens. So how's how's the summer going? Is it finally summer here?
1: Summer is going well. We actually have sunshine, <laughs> and it's gotten above like forty degrees. I don't so... I don't know
0: what it's like where you all are listening, but it has been a, a strange start to summer in Minnesota. It I will has. tell you that. Yeah um anyway uh we are back with another episode uh we're doing monthly throughout the summer like we said on our last one so uh but we're excited for today i think it'll be a great conversation
1: yeah definitely um i'm excited so lately on the podcast we've had a lot of conversations that uh we that chris and dave had at the national youth gathering in houston um i wasn't a part of those because i was walking around with a bunch of high schoolers (laughs) um which was very fun and um so it's been interesting for me to hear the conversations that you guys have gotten to have with all these people that we're at all the booths that I was with a bunch of high schoolers at.
0: Yeah. So uh, one of those conversations, we talked with an organization. Um, there was actually, their booth was right across from us, which was kind of fun. We got to know them over over the few days. But um, we had the opportunity to meet with Jazzy Schwollert and Lindsay Pease, who work for Water to Thrive. And so they're a faith-based nonprofit that funds the building of wells in East Africa and spreads awareness about the African water crisis. We had just an awesome conversation, and we are excited to share it with you now.
1: Welcome to episode 86, Water to Thrive.
2: Welcome to the Sandbox.
3: I'm Jazzy Schwollert. Uh, I've been with Water to Thrive for a little over two years and just have absolutely loved it. Um, We're based in Austin, so I'm currently here in Houston for the Youth Gathering. Not too far of a drive for us, so it was good. And I'm Lindsay
2: Pease. I am Very new to Water to Thrive, but I will be working on events and outreach with Water to Thrive as well.
0: Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the work, Uh, just kind of an overview of Water to Thrive, uh, how you're currently involved. What does that look like?
3: Yeah. So Water to Thrive started in 2008. So this is our 10th anniversary year um, in a small Bible study group, an adult Bible study group in a Lutheran church in Austin. Um they were studying just humanitarian relief and came across Ethiopia and the water crisis. And they were like, let's raise money to build a well. So those efforts actually raised enough money to build six wells. And then the Mm. church kind of came behind them and matched it. And so that small Bible study group ended up being able to help fund 12 wells. So Mm. that kind of sparked an interest in them and a question of like, well, if just our church can on 12 water wells then what could more people do so mm-hmm. um, that's kind of where it began um, mainly in Ethiopia and now we've uh, started building wells in Uganda and Tanzania so those are the three countries that we work and um, as of right now we are at just over 850 wells mm-hmm. built wow. in East Africa
4: yeah with regard to these wells is mm-hmm. there upkeep is there connection with the community in which yeah. these are based and 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 how do you do that
3: Yeah. So that's something that we really value is helping the communities kind of take ownership over those wells. So first of all, we don't go into Africa, build wells, and then just get out. So we don't even do the building ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't know how to do that. But also (laughs) we, uh, we don't know the native language. We don't know the people. We don't know the culture near as well as people there do who have, you know, lived there all their lives. So We have uh, trusted partners in those countries, and the areas that we work, and they actually do the building. Um, They train every single community that gets a well. They train them in what's called WASH training, water, sanitation, hygiene. So they are taught kind of what is expected to maintain the well. They have, uh, every village has a water committee that they have to form. And it has to be at least half women because women are the ones that are usually in charge of collecting the water. So it's important to us that they are in charge of, you know, um, protecting Mm -hmm. that well. Um, And they take a small monthly fee from every household that wants to use the water, um, which to us is literally like three pennies. Like it's a very small amount, but to them it's um, kind of an investment. And so all that money goes into a maintenance fund for their own well, so if something breaks, they are responsible for getting it fixed. Um, so we really try to help them um, be kind of self-sustaining and take ownership of that well as part of their community and their new kind of way of living.
4: So I'm wondering, uh, as you do this work, what obstacles are in the way of, I mean, it's water is a basic need for all living things. Yeah. But, and yet there's (laughs) obstacles in the way. So what are they?
3: Yeah. I feel like one of the more maybe obvious obstacles for us is that the people that we help are not right in front of us. So that is something that makes it maybe more difficult for donors or um, just supporters to really see the immediate impact because everybody we help is in Africa. So... Um, unlike maybe helping at a food bank, which is also really important, but you get to actually give food to people who need it rather than, um, really having to trust us as an organization, uh, to be good stewards with the donations and putting it towards the water projects. So, um, that's an obstacle in terms of kind of getting the message to people and really show them how important it is to provide water to people who've, really never had it um never had clean water um and then i'd say one of the other big obstacles is just kind of the visibility and um, education about the water crisis in general so since we started in a lutheran church we got a big lutheran support base Mm -hmm. um which is mostly kind of an older crowd, um, which is great, and they've been very constant supporters, but we are so wanting to kind of reach into different demographics, um, really engage millennials and um, you know young families that have little kids that um, we want to encourage to start campaigns at their schools to fund water wells. And so um, that's where I think recently we've really seen Some struggle because we we just want to do it all we want everybody to know about it And Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. trying to figure out um kind of more strategically how to slowly reach different um areas different groups Mm -hmm. of people so Mm
0: -hmm. What about uh your own Story your own journey your own Faith perspective or, or any of those kinds of things What what about your own story has made this work compelling to you?
3: When I was actually in high school, in youth group at church, we did a study one night on a Wednesday night. It was actually a Rob Bell video that we were studying. We were talking about and we were talking about uh, world hunger and poverty. And he said a statistic on there that was the amount that Americans spend on ice cream alone every single year could solve world hunger And when I heard that, I like so vividly remember just being angry. I was so mad. I was like, that is so unfair. Why are we just sitting here eating ice cream when we could, I mean, obviously it's not as simple as let's just give up ice cream, but, um, just that did, it just didn't seem like it should be that hard, you know, to, um, to do something to make a big impact. So, uh, All I knew is that I wanted to help people. (laughs) I just didn't know in what capacity. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to Concordia University in Texas, in Austin, and was just able to kind of explore what that kind of yearning was for me, for wanting to help people and in what capacity. I looked into church work, and then I realized that maybe it wasn't my thing, but I knew I wanted to help people um, just really... Carry out the love God and love others uh, perspective. Um, and so then I, Water to Thrive had a job opening right when I graduated college. And that was, uh, it really truly was one of those things where I felt like uh, kind of a dream job for me out of college. And the, kind of at the basis of that has always been my faith and just feeling like, why are we not doing that? Like, why mm-hmm. aren't we? reaching people who so desperately need something so simple, like as simple as water.
2: My story is a little different. I I worked um, for about 12 years in the corporate world, and then I was married for a while, and we decided to start a family, and I really struggled with, should I go back to work or should I stay home? And that was sort of my first crisis of faith of what should I do? I prayed and I prayed, and I made the decision, um, to stay home with my kids and it has been wonderful, but a part of me knew I wanted to go back to work and do something more meaningful. So, um, I really just wanted an organization that showed faith in action and something I could come home and talk to my kids about that was something tangible to them. And I I think this organization does that and kind of shows that Faith is actionable and um, not just something that happens within the church. And um, it's all over the world and here. So that's kind of how I got here.
4: Have either of you been to Africa to see the work there?
3: I got to go in the fall of 2016. I went to Ethiopia for a couple of weeks and then Uganda at the end of that for a couple of days. So... It really changes like and I, I mean I got to Water to Thrive feeling like I was very passionate about what I was doing and the mission of of the organization. But then I went there and I got to actually go to the communities that now had clean water and like just walking towards a water well there would be just a I don't know, at least 50 people at some of these projects that were standing around the wells and and were just singing and clapping and dancing and celebrating that we were there um, and that we brought them clean water. And seeing, like that is not even a fathomable thing that would happen here in the States. like. Imagine if we turned turn on the faucet and every single time we turn on the faucet, we just broke out in song and dance because we're so thankful. Like it's just such a different, uh, culture and different, even if you see photos of it, I mean, it's, it doesn't do it justice to just the joy that these people have from being able to drink clean water and not worry about getting sick. Um, yeah. So being over there was just mm-hmm. a whole new ball game. It's a
4: powerful thing. Did you, were you able to hear from anybody, Individually on this
3: There's a a story that sticks in my brain. We're in one of the villages part of what we do when we take trips over there is We want to talk to community members and bring stories back to The specific donors that have have contributed to their specific well so We oftentimes try to interview people and through translators and we were at one village in Ethiopia And this woman was saying that we asked why they were thankful for the water. and She spoke up and said that she has five children and that she used to have six, but that her two-year-old son had died from a waterborne illness Hmm. within the the year before that. Um, So they had recently gotten a clean water well. And so she got emotional and was just so grateful that she didn't have to worry about any of her other children dying from a waterborne illness. And so I started crying and Suzanne, our executive director, started crying. And it was just, it was a really, it was heartbreaking, but it was a beautiful moment to be able to embrace this mother who now has such a huge sense of relief that she doesn't have to worry about any of her other children passing away from uh, a disease that's completely preventable um, mm-hmm. just by giving them clean water. So, yeah. there are, And there are so many stories like that. It's just yeah. insane.
4: Just stories that are, are repeated over and over and over again with every well that you put in.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Lindsay, you're just getting to start with the organization. Yes. What is one of the most surprising, shocking, uh, good or bad thing that you're noticing about either the work or the organization?
2: I think... How little I knew, and how little a lot of people I meet know about what's going on as far as lack of water in East Africa, how we need to educate of what is going on, and if that's something we can do as a nonprofit, if that's something we can um, better get out there, I think that's something that um, would be great for water to thrive to do.
4: I think what water is something that many, many people in the United States take for granted. We turn on the faucet, and we have water, and then we turn it off, and it stops. And then Flint happened,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and I wonder: did that affect, uh, did that affect visibility and consciousness around the work that you're doing?
3: That's a good question, and that as this kind of has been. Happening, I know at least for me, um, one of my main roles has been kind of the social media communications aspect. So of course, you see all of this happening in Michigan, and it's obviously, it's devastating. It's really hard to watch. You know, we don't want to take that as a chance to almost lessen the struggles in Flint, you know, that they're, that they're dealing with. But at the same time, I do think that even if it wasn't visibility specifically for water to thrive, I think in that situation, um, of not having clean water, I think a lot of people have just in general realized that water, the water crisis is a thing.
4: But certainly expanded awareness about the importance of clean water. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And something that I, that's, it's kind of, interesting just seeing on social medias as you know i've tried to like follow along our accounts and uh, like different tweets and things like that um, i follow the hashtag clean water for all because that's something that we use a lot in our posts but when i was following that i almost all of it was flint michigan we see people tweeting and talking about this clean water for all which is obviously that needs to happen, um, but we're seeing it more now that something happened in the U.S. Not as much, you know, the past however many years. Always that it's been happening in, you know, in places like rural Africa. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it's a it's an organization that's working internationally, mm-hmm. uh, and I imagine that presents its own set of challenges. Yeah, um, what partnerships or who are you working with on the ground or what does that look like to develop a kind of sustainable team of people to help the work get done
3: one of the greatest assets i think to our organization is we have an ethiopian employee named gashaw and he lives there with his family and he came on board um not too long ago maybe three or four years ago um met him as we were I mean, I wasn't there, but as uh, a couple of our other uh, supporters and coworkers were on a trip and they met him through one of our other partners that we uh, work with to build the wells. And he is a certified hydrogeologist, so he knows his stuff and he's he's also very direct, (laughs) which is needed because he is who we really count on a lot to go visit these water projects. Before they begin construction during the process of building the wells and then after he'll go and check on them check on the functionality make sure they're kind of up to our standards and um, and he'll talk to the water committees and Be you know just very direct and say like you're doing this wrong like step it up because this is clean water that you now have um, So it needs to be taken care of so he has been a huge huge uh, blessing to the organization Um, and then our model is that we function a little bit more as a funding organization Um, we're on the fundraising side of things and then we work really closely with a number of partners in East Africa in the areas where we work that you know like I said they're local they they live there um, and building water projects is their thing. So um, we work with, I believe we have 10 different partners right now in East Africa between the three countries where we work that um, they train the communities. We are in constant communication with them. We have, you know, project agreements that we set certain standards. Um, So
2: yeah. I think to piggyback on that, transparency has been something that is really important to our organization and something that I've seen just being here for a little while, that you can actually get the GPS coordinates to a well and see how, see if that well is functioning. You could visit that well. You could have your name on that well. Um, I think that is something that is tangible to somebody in the United States, that um, Sometimes you don't know where your money is going or what it's doing, and I think that gives um, some accountability and transparency around the whole process, and maybe mm-hmm. makes people a little less scared to donate to an international project like that.
4: When I, when I was traveling overseas, and not uh, East Africa, but in a different, different part of the world, where water is scarce, mm-hmm. somebody told me that water is power. And if you have water, and, and the one who controls the water controls, uh, you know, has control over a population. Do you find that you've, have, have you ever made a well where somebody has tried to manipulate, control the well, commodify the well, uh, close it off uh, for just the cool people or whatever? <laughs> I mean, has this been a problem?
3: Thankfully, we haven't had any, you know, major issues to the point where there needs to be uh, big you know measures to to make sure that it doesn't happen again um but there have been a couple of times and I mean there was one village that we visited when I went on the trip in 2016 where um we when we go to each village we'll ask to see their their books their um finances so we can make sure that they've been collecting the monthly dues from the households and uh this was a village that it had, had a well for a while like at least a year um, and there was next to nothing in their in their books in their bank account and we were confused and asking questions and turns out that one of the village members decided to just take the money and just go didn't want to leave it for the maintenance fund just decided to go put it in their own bank account somewhere so yeah I mean there have been a couple of things like that um, or communities that haven't met the standards for upkeep of the well, which becomes an issue because it can it can mean the well stops functioning a lot sooner than it should. So um, yeah, there are some things like that, but thankfully we've seen too that when there is a water well put in a village, a lot of the violence kind of decreases um, because when a village doesn't have clean water If there's a village nearby that does have clean water, they're going to travel to that village. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's possible to get there and back in a day, then they're going to go to that other village that has clean water and that causes issues. So there have been a lot of instances where violence decreases when we get when we get wells put into villages. But, um, yeah, there are always some of those kind of
4: one of your goals uh, as i've heard is to get more young people paying attention and knowing about it educated about the need for water in you know around the world and uh and we've been we've met you guys at a conference where we have what 30,000 high school yeah. so there's a few Lots young people schools. around yeah, here yeah just a
3: couple <laughs> um
4: and you you've had a very interactive exhibit uh, we were located across from you and it was it was pretty fantastic uh, to see what was yeah. going on. but could you share what you've been doing?
3: Really, the basics of our interactive booth has been um, having kids lift a full jerry can and just see what that's like. That weighs about 50 pounds on average and um, women and children have to walk with that sometimes round trip up to five hours a day depending on where the closest water source is So about
4: 50 pounds five hours a day and off am i wrong to think on on your head is that no
3: it it, yeah so some people carry it on their head a lot of people carry it on their backs so they take a piece of cloth and kind of um cradle the water can on their back
4: swaddle it in there right yeah yeah
3: um but then you go to the villages and so many of these women and children have extremely swayed backs because they are walking for literally miles with this heavy jug on their backs. Um, and they're like hunched over kind of waddling with it. So, uh, yeah. So at our booth we've been kind of, there've been a couple of kids who are like, Oh, this isn't that heavy, you know, but we're like, okay, add five hours onto that and then (laughs) kind of imagine how you might feel, (laughs) how you might feel. Um, yeah, just trying to give them a very small glimpse into what it's like every single day um, for these people who just don't have the luxury.
4: There have been some some guys who are you know meatheads who are like oh it's so bad you know yeah. But what other responses have you gotten? Has anybody just been kind of shocked by that? Have, do you feel like anybody's been moved to action in any kind of way? Um,
2: I think the most shocked remains how dirty the water looks we have a photo of the water we have a simulation of what the water looks like and everyone's first expression is that can't be what the water source they're going to and we're saying yes that's that's what they were drinking before and that is their that was these people's only perspective of water and i think that is just such a hard concept to grasp and so a lot of the um teens that we've met have been shocked that the water looks like mud and they couldn't um, be drinking that and I think Jazzy was talking about that in a certain village the women would strain the water for worms I mean that is just such a uh, impactful visual that they would still drink it after straining it for worms and that's just that's something that's unfathomable here in the United States so um, just to be able to show some pictures, show the, the weight of water, um, to these teens, I think has been a good, good experience.
0: So I'm kind of curious. I mean, I think there's lots of ways that this work could be, um, certainly fulfilling, but also challenging. And, and I'm curious what, uh, what you do to, keep yourself going, keep yourself focused, keep yourself excited about the mission. Um, What what does that look like?
3: Initially, when I went and visited, that brought a whole new perspective to my everyday job. Um, Because even though we're helping people internationally and getting them clean water, that sounds like a very, kind of like a labor intensive, very non-stop, always moving kind of thing. But for us in the United States, in our office in Austin, I mean, it's an office job. Mm-hmm. Like, we're constantly, um, we have our different roles. We're doing donor management, we're um, communicating via emails and social media, and, um, you know, all of the running to do lists of things that never seem to be checked off. Um, and I think a, a big part of that, too, is we're a very, we're a small nonprofit. Um, we're a very lean nonprofit, which is part of what we uh, we really strive to be a lean nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also means that, you know, one job description might actually have like seven jobs <laughs> within it. Um, so to keep kind of uh, motivated, something personally for me that always, always reminds me of why we're doing what we're doing is hearing stories from the field from africa Um, those are always powerful but also hearing stories of people in the states who realize that they want to help Um, in may we had a middle school in iowa decide the students decided that they wanted to rally the staff and faculty together and do a week-long campaign to raise money for their own water well. And then uh, they dedicated an entire day to do their own walk for water, where they actually walked down to the river in their town, gathered pails of water, walked back to the school, and had guest speakers, and um, just really worked towards fundraising that that well. So by the end of that week, they had funded a well for $5,000, and that was, middle school kids that decided they wanted to make a difference so it's hearing stories like that and seeing that there are so many people that just really want to make a powerful impact in the world even if it's people that they will likely never meet people that are across the globe um, it's really the stories that for me keep me going and I think I'm most excited about meeting the
2: community where they are if it's at a youth gathering if it's at a church if it's at a local coffee shop just being able to tell those stories and get more out in the community i think that's a further goal of our organization is just to to be out there and be present and to listen um because there are middle school students doing fundraisers and willing to do fundraisers and there are senior centers that are willing to do things. And so I think there's just a, there's a broad audience for what we do. It's just how we share it and how we, um, how we engage the community. So I think that that can be challenging, but to me that's really exciting because we don't know what other audience could be there in another year, um, besides the youth or seniors or there might be a whole other group out there. So I think that's very exciting and, Challenging, So I like that part.
4: What do you do for self care? Take care of yourself. What, do you have a practice? Do you have a thing that you do?
3: Jazzy I wedding have, plans. <laughs> yeah. I've been real bad at this lately. <laughs> <I> plan, <laughs> planning my wedding. Um, getting ready to move. Just all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, but something that I've recently found very helpful is journaling and As I'm doing that, I'm writing down my prayers because I'm very bad at slowing down throughout the day to actually just calm down long enough to say a prayer. Um, So it's never been one of the spiritual practices that I'm very good at. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to get better at it. And I'm going to start by writing it down because I have to be focusing on what I'm saying if I'm writing it.
2: I would say for me, being outside, that's really has always been a form of self care for me. And being inside a conference room is really challenging for me to be inside. So I just got out a little bit and walked around, but I think um, engaging with nature and whether that's a walk or a run or being by being by water. I know that sounds ironic, but I really like to walk by our lake in Austin and there is something very powerful and calming about water. So, um I like to I like to be around water and run around our lake is really my favorite thing.
4: So I'm wondering um just as a kind of quick overview, how can somebody be involved with your work?
3: So the best and most effective way that people can help uh not just water to thrive, but just help alleviate the water crisis is by starting a fundraising campaign for a well. Um, and I know that that kind of sounds like the typical answer that you get from a nonprofit like, how can we help? Oh, give us your money. <laughs> but truly, um, because we don't physically go build the wells and we trust our partners to do that and they do it well, um, we encourage, whether it's individuals or church congregations or school groups or youth groups to start their own campaigns and get creative with the way that you fundraise Um, and really try to hit that goal of five thousand dollars because that five thousand dollars gives water to on average the village is the size of a village is about 500 people so five thousand dollars five hundred people that gives that means it's only ten dollars to give one person water and they're that lasts them 20 or more years each water well. So um, the impact is huge um, and it just takes people coming together to start a water campaign.
0: It just takes people coming together to start a water campaign. Whether it's the water crisis in East Africa, in Flint, Michigan, or any other crisis or problem that we face, it just takes people coming together. As Jazzy and Lindsay were talking, I couldn't help but think about all of the ways that people have seen the need and created something new together to meet it. There's an old story of Jesus speaking with his disciples and he tells them, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. And I think Jazzy's comment at the end of our conversation is tapping a little bit into the wisdom of that, that those who gather together around possibility might be able to do something incredible. It just takes people coming together to start a water campaign. It's easy to be frustrated by a problem, to name it, post about it on social media, and feel overwhelmed. And the reality is probably that you, on your own, can't solve it. But perhaps when we come together as community and recognize the gifts in each of us, we can truly make a difference for the world. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. And special thanks to Jazzy and Lindsay for taking some time to connect with us. Make sure to check out watertothrive.org to learn more and discover ways to help provide clean water for all.
1: If you want to stay up to date with all things going on in the sandbox, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. You can also rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation.
0: And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there's always more room in the sandbox.
1: Until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the
2: sandbox.